I grew up in the interior of Brazil where we had no modern inconveniences. Uh, truth is, we had no television. I didn't know what the Three Stooges were until I was in eighth grade. Don't you feel sorry for me? I, we didn't have a telephone. There was no telephone within a 15-hour drive of us. And then it was a telephone that you cranked up and talked to the operator. No, and I'm not that old. That's because Third World was quite a ways behind uh, our country. But every afternoon or evening after the evening meal, our family would gather on the front porch of our house. My parents would be sitting in wicker rocker chairs, and my father would start telling us war stories, World War II stories. And man, they were great. Stories of heroes and stories of great victories. And so I grew up thinking about the military. And when it came time to uh, my turn to go, it was Vietnam era. And I got, eh, not so fun. And I did not, I did not, I wasn't drafted, so I didn't go. That was back in the day of the draft. But in the early 70s, Reader's Digest carried a story that actually captured the attention of all of America and really encapsulated Vietnam for us. The story was about a young man who had married just before he was sent over to Nam. And the command had said that there was this hill that Americans had to take and secure. And they secured it without great loss of life. But then the Viet Cong decided that they needed that hill. And they brought thousands of soldiers to the base of that hill. It was okay as long as the Americans could fly in supplies and ammo. But then when the last helicopter was hit by ground-to-air missiles, they knew that the end was near. What they had is what they had. The story goes on that for two weeks there was battles going on and the Americans defended the hill valiantly. But then they were down to 15 men. And what little ammo every, the, the lieutenant in charge had them do a count of their ammo and the one particular man said, I've got five rounds. So the orders were, use up the five rounds and fix your bayonet, get ready to do hand to hand. They knew that the Kong would go up the hill after sundown. So they all took their positions and sat there waiting. This particular young man took a piece of paper and pencil and wrote a letter to his wife. And wrote things that a husband would write to his wife as the last words. But while he was in Nam his firstborn son was born, whom he had never met. 
At the very bottom of the letter, he said, Tell my boy, I died a good soldier. The Kong did come up as expected. The American, the 15 Americans fought valiantly for two hours or one hour. And finally, they were, they were dead. The Kong hauled them down off the hills unceremoniously. The Americans came and picked them up to take care of their bodies. And in this one particular soldier, they found that letter tucked in the vest, riddled with bullet holes and blood. They sent the belongings back to the wife. She took it and framed it just as it was and put it on the bedstand by her boy's bed and said, that was your daddy. He died a good soldier. I am convinced more than ever that the spiritual battle which is being waged on this planet is tougher and tougher by the day. It is a lot harder than when I first went into ministry. I first went into the pastor in 1973. I was a youth pastor before that. And it wasn't easy, but nothing compared to what it is today. That's why Paul tells Timothy... Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The title of my message is God's Delta Force. And we're looking, God is looking for Delta Force. Delta Force is serious about his or her mission. And by the way, when I say Delta Force, I know girls automatically get click off. God's looking for girls, ladies, that will be Delta soldiers. And I could tell you story after story of women who are Delta Force. My mother being one, my wife being another, Delta Force. They're serious about their training. Delta Force is serious about loyalty. When I started the ministry, the worst thing that was going on was that guys were had long hair. I mean, hair down the middle of their back. It was easy to preach on that. And the miniskirts were in. Some of these girls wore nothing but wide belts. It was easy to preach on that. Today, it's homosexuality. Today, it's transgender. Today, it's transhuman. Those are the issues you guys face. It requires a Delta Force mentality. So God is looking for a Delta Force, and today I believe he would pick some of you. I have no idea who you are. That God is going to put in the front line somewhere. So consider with me four qualities of a Delta Force Christian soldier. Why not you take your Bibles and go with me to Judges chapter 7. Put your finger in that passage and then go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. The Judges 7 passage we're all very familiar with. Beginning verse 2. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for thee to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, 
Whomsoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from the Mount of Gilead. And there returned of the people 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are too, yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knee to drink, and the number of them that lappeth, put a, and putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 men that lap will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all other people go every man unto his own place. Be Gideon for a while. He's facing thousands and thousands of Midianites. He had 30,000 and he thought that wasn't enough. And then God pruned it down to 10. He said, that's still too many. In those days, again, there was no television. But after a big battle, especially if you'd won the battle, the soldiers would come home and they would gather around the town square and tell war stories. Now think about even the 300. They go home, they've won the battle, they've chased the Midianites away. So they come to the town square and say, Dad, Dad, how many guys did you kill? No one. Well, let me see your sword. I don't have a sword. Well, what about a spear? I don't have a spear. Well, Dad, what are you, you went to war. He said, yes. He said, what do you have? He said, I had a trumpet. Okay. And I had a torch with clay pot on it. That is that how you fought? He said, that's how we fought. Well, that's no fun. But he said, God says, we're going to make sure that I get the uh, credit for this victory. And let me suggest to you that God's delta force often will not get credit for the effort. Because God is the one that gets credit. Now go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. I want to look at just two verses. Verse 33 and 38. Of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle, expert in war, with all the instruments of war, 50,000, which could keep rank, they were not of a double heart. Verse 38. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. And look at the last statement in verse 40. There was joy in Israel. The first quality of the Delta Force for God is a perfect heart. Perfect heart. 
First Kings chapter 8, 61 says, Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord your God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as this day. Perfect does not mean sinless, as you know. It implies a wholeheartedness, a singleness of heart, a sincerity, a total and complete commitment. By the time I came back to the States, I was so into soccer that football was for padded pansies. But I learned one thing. The guy on the line that gets hurt is the guy that's double-minded, doesn't want to get hurt. It's the guy that hits first, that hurts and doesn't get hurt. It's the same thing with the Delta Force. A sincerity, a commitment, no thought except to serve God, a singleness of heart. We need that desperately. So how do we achieve that? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our hearts must be, number one, washed of sin. There has to be a a commitment to a holy life. Isaiah 1, 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Psalm 51, 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. I must deal with it as sin, not as a mistake. I can't come to the Lord and say, oops, Lord, I blew it. We like to use those terms because sin is so, yuck, it's so not contemporary. And uh, so we, we just don't want to talk about that. So we find other words. By the way, did you know that the blood of Jesus Christ is only efficacious for sin, not for mistakes? If I call it what it is, then the power of God can cleanse me from all sin. It's not about asking God to help me do better next time because God is not concerned about next time. He's concerned about last time. Listen, you can't break a habit by not going back and addressing it at its its root. So the result of a perfect heart in verse 38 is... Unity and all of the rest of Israel also were one heart. That produces strength and efficiency. And consequently, there was joy in Israel. Our churches, and I've pastored some churches, where if there was unity in the church, there was joy. You could just sense, you walk into the church, and you just sense that there was unity. I can always tell a church that is healthy, is that after the service, people don't want to leave. They're talking. They're visiting. That's a healthy church. But the church says, yeah, I, I need to be out of here. There's a problem. There's no joy. There's no unity. The second quality is not of a double heart. First Chronicles 12, 33 says they were not of a double heart. The Bible said in James 1, 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let me just remind you of something. There are a number of you here that are here because you know exactly what God wants for your life. I knew from the time I was about eight years old that God wanted me in ministry. I didn't know exactly where, what. I just knew that's where I was going to be. And I consider myself fortunate to have known that. 
So, but some of you are in that boat. You know exactly. And you've known for a while. And you're here just kind of, I, I remember going to school with apologies to the professors. I said, let me out of here. This is a waste of time. Let me get to preaching. Let me get to sowing. Let me get, and I could hardly wait. But I knew I had to finish it. Then some of you are here, and you're not sure what you're supposed to be doing. You just don't know. And others are here because mom and dad said you were going to be here. Now, let me just suggest to you something. If you're going to be here, be here. Get with it. In a moment, we're going to talk about those that aren't, are here only because they have to be. Now, I'm not suggesting that every Christian is called to vocational ministry. I'm not saying that. But some Christians don't even ride well. They drag their feet. And some college students are like that. They don't ride well. They drag their feet. In the process, they drag others with them. Don't be that. If you're not going to be part of God's Delta Force, the least you can be is part of the logistics to help them, encourage them to become what God wants them to be. There are three singlenesses in the Christian Delta Force. One is the singleness of purpose. Paul says, I press toward the mark. He says, laying aside every weight. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, but fight I not as one that beateth the air. You guys who are athletes, you know exactly what we mean by being a singleness of mind. When you step out on that competition field, I've been asked if I enjoy golf. Again, apologies to golfers. I just could never get excited about hitting a little round ball in a cow pasture and walking nine miles and trying to sink that little ball in that hole. That just never did anything for me. I like the sport where when I walk on the field, I don't know whether I'm going to walk off on my own power or they're going to have to carry me off. That's my kind of sport. I watched... Was it last week? Those of you soccer players, the Brazilian, I can't remember his name. He's a, a Brazilian striker. He did a reverse bicycle kick and scored a goal. Woo! I mean, to tell you what, that will make you speak in tongues. <laughs> but he didn't. Think about the fact that if he landed on his back, he could break his back. Didn't think about any of that. One thing he wanted to do, he wanted to score a goal. Somewhere, we've got to get that same passion for the ministry. Singleness of purpose, singleness of life. Again, Paul says, this one thing I do. Unfortunately for many of us, our motto is these many things we dabble in. And we never do accomplish any one thing. As we look at scriptures, men like Daniel, who purposed in his heart not to defile himself. He made a decision. And let me suggest to you that that's one of the best things you can do is just decide. So that when Satan comes and 
talks to you, say, sorry, devil, I've already decided. I belong to Jesus. Get lost. And you've got to decide that the appeals of serving God are greater than the appeals of serving the world. Moses made that decision, Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 11. Great men use 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Singleness of heart requires allegiance. Let me ask you a question. Do we provoke God to jealousy? I, um, I'm a jealous husband. I'll just tell you that right flat out. And um, when I was a lot younger, some guy looked twice at my wife, I would introduce him to my fist. Just leave her alone. She's mine. Leave her alone, buddy. And yet, over and again, we play footsies with the world. I told you before that in Brazil there is a custom where when you get engaged, the girl wears the wedding band on her right finger and right hand. But the guy does too. And that means I belong to somebody. Let me tell you, when you got saved, you got an engagement ring. You belong to somebody. You better allow that to mean something. Because if you want to be part of God's Delta Force, you have got to be loyal. I remember talking to a guy down in Brazil who was Delta Force. He was down there for some special mission. Of course, obviously, he couldn't tell me what it was. I said, how can you defend a country that's doing this and this? And this was back in the day, the civil rights uh, riots, uh, Vietnam, those were just some of the issues. And he said, listen, that president is my commander-in-chief. I just obey orders. Boy, we need to learn that. Just obey orders. The third is in verse 33 of First Chronicles, they could keep rank. These are an example of men that were always alert, never put down their defenses. Their primary purpose was to be a soldier. That was what they were there for. And then there's the example of guys who couldn't keep rank. They laid down their defenses. They were more concerned about taking care of their personal desires than being a soldier. They were unaware of their primary purpose. They were, they were there, and by the way, before we put them under the bus, they did volunteer to show up. But their mentality was wrong. They just didn't fit what God was going to do. Because here's what would happen with these guys. Gideon would say, now, here's your weapons. Here's a, a, a trumpet. 
here's a torch, it's a clay pot. And I can just hear one of the guys say, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. You don't fight battles that way. And they would question it. And God said, send those boys home. I want men who will obey me with no questions. Just do it. The Lord's army needs to be disciplined. Paul says, I keep my body under subjection. Discipline. Spiritual discipline. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, you say that's kind of strange that you would say study (laughs) the week before finals. Well, you're learning how to study, aren't you? It took me about six years to learn how to study. Before that, I worked on outlines so I could pass a test. And when I got in my master's program, all of a sudden I learned how to study. Let me say, don't wait six years. Learn how to do it now. Learn how not just to pass a test, but learn how to learn from it. How can I take what I'm doing now in class and plug into ministry? Some of you wonder in my classes, how? CE of adults. How can I take that and make it useful? You eight that are in my class, you better know how by now. It's not about passing a test. It's about reaching the unreached crowd in our churches, the adults, with Bible truths that will excite them. The last qualification is found back in in Judges. So go back to Judges chapter 7. Not fearful. The fearful were sent home. 22,000 men were sent home. And there was a reason for sending them home. And that's found in Deuteronomy 20 verse 8. And the officers shall speak further to the people. And they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return into his house, lest the brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Did you know that fear is contagious? It's a disease that spreads like wildfire. And the last thing Gideon needed was a bunch of weak, nillied, weak kneed guys who were scared. He needed men that would do what they were told and just let God be God. I often, as a pastor, would tell people, you just do right and let God take care of the details. Because most of the time, our problem is not deciding what's right. We know what's right. It's we worry about what happens if we do right. You're going to pastor churches, and you know what you need to do here, but if you, need, if you do this, you're going to lose six families. You're going to be there. You do right and let God worry about the six families. My son Rodney told me that about a year and a half ago, right after COVID, he had some issues that he had to deal with in school. And because of that, he said, about 25, 30 people left the church. He said, I was devastated said the next Sunday God sent 40 brand new people to church. 
Now, does God always do it that way? No. But you do right, and God will eventually take care of the details and will bless you for doing right. Second Timothy 1, 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Those of you in counseling, we've gone through this verse a lot of times. If God hasn't given us that spirit, where does it come from? It comes from the devil. Therefore, I know it's a spiritual battle, and you'll face that oftentimes in your ministry. Just know the source is coming from the devil. And there's certain things that you can just do automatically to fight spiritual warfare. Go to Ephesians 6 or look at the three words that are part of the second half of verse 7. Power. The word power there means authority over. Authority over fear. Love. 1 John 4, perfect love casts off fear. Sound mind. Did you know that 99% of the things we're afraid of never happen? That's just the way it is. But the devil wants us, to, wants us to cause fear to make them bigger than what they really are. Yeah, I heard a story, and it was, I think it was uh, David Gibbs that told the story. He's talking about being part of the, the, the army. He says, imagine this for a moment. And only David Gibbs can create a scenario in a drama way. So I won't even try to imitate him. But think of a battlefield. The air is just gray with dust and gunpowder. The smell of gunpowder and the smell of blood. The crying in, in, uh, of wounded men. The explosion of, of ordinances. Men hunkered down, shooting. The noise is deafening. In the middle of that scene, a guy walks out into the battlefield. He's got flip-flops, a pair of Bermuda shorts, Hawaiian shirt, and a straw hat. In one hand, he has a Coke. The other hand, he's got a lawn chair. And he says, I'm here. That's the way a lot of us show up for battle. Totally ill-prepared. Part of what you're doing here is preparing. You're preparing to answer the homosexual. You're preparing to help them see what the Bible says. And that God loves them and they need to get saved. They need to abandon that lifestyle. You're preparing to answer the transgender. You're preparing to answer the public school teacher that is teaching CRT. You're preparing for that. You're preparing to deal with the transhuman and the bioethics that go along with that. You're preparing for that. You say, well, bless God. All I need is a strong concordance and a King James Bible. Bless God. 
None of those two are wrong. There's anything wrong with either one of those, obviously. But guys, you need to sharpen your swords. You need to know how to use this. Let me ask you a question. Can you from the Bible tell me why transhuman is wrong? It's in there, by the way. Can you tell me from the Bible why transgenderism is wrong? It's in the Bible. Can you tell me why CRT is wrong? It's in the Bible. Dig it out. This is the time to ask the questions. Now, all those questions, you go to Dr. Spencer with them. <laughs> Flood his office and say, Doc, I need to know. Because I'm going into the youth ministry and I've got some teenagers that are faced with this every day. How do I answer them? I'm going into the pastorate and I'm going to have a mom and dad come to me and say, my son just came to me and said he's gay. How do you help them? By the way, it's not with psychology. It's with this book. Find out how to do it. Don't waste your time here. If all you get is a straight A and don't, don't learn anything, you've wasted four years. Convert that A grade into something that works. Because you live in desperate times. And God needs a delta force. God needs men and women. Her name is Dorothy Percival. Single lady. She was not very beautiful. But God called her to the mission field. She went up into the mountains of northeast Brazil to help a missionary couple. They were planning a church in a very difficult field. The missionary couple had some severe health and the doctor said, you've got to go home. And Dorothy struggled. What do I do? Do I abandon the mission field? Do I abandon these few Christians? Or do I stay? She was not a young woman at that time. She was in her early 40s. And she felt the Lord would have her to stay. In 1967, I took a group of college students to Brazil on a, on a missions trip. Of, we were a gospel team. And one of our stops was up in Guaraciaba. And she had, the church had grown so that they were running right at 50, 60. Now, she didn't preach. Whenever there was a baptism, she had to import a missionary. Whenever they celebrated the Lord's Supper, she had to import a pastor. So there were some real inconveniences. I said, well, how do you teach my shift flannel graph? Dorothy Percival, two years ago, went to be with the Lord at the age of 78. She spent her life in Guadalajara. Single, 
But today that church is running about 320. The auditorium is named after Dorothy Percival. She was Delta Force. She was Delta Force. So girls, don't assume that just because you're a girl, God doesn't use you because he does. So, let me ask you a question. You interested in Delta Force? Now, don't say, yeah, because it's a cool thing. Because being a Delta Force is tough. It's not for cowards. It's not for wimps. I want to challenge you. Sign up. Sign up for Delta Force. Don't be satisfied with just being in the army. Heavenly Father, if these young people here in this auditorium today were to become part of the Delta Force, we could turn the world upside down. And Father, I, I pray that you would help them to understand what it means. And Father, I pray that you would call some of them out to be Delta Force. 